You're listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Ruth. Here's Nate. Well, Paul, in writing Romans chapter 15, said there in verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And the book of Ruth is one of those scriptures that so encourages and grants endurance to the reader, leading to great hope in God. Just watching what God does in the life of Ruth and in the life of Naomi and in the life of Boaz brings such light and encouragement and grace to the heart of a modern believer. And so, We must remember to continually go to the scripture to find that encouragement, to find that endurance that we might be led to a life of hope in God. Now, here in Ruth chapter 4, all of the previous scenes will coalesce or climax into this particular chapter. Uh, We've seen first the scene out in the country of Moab where A man named Elimelech had fled from Israel and Bethlehem and had taken his family, his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Chilion, to Moab, where Elimelech died, his two sons married Moabite women, and then they eventually died. And Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem. One of her new daughters-in-law, Ruth, made a decision to leave Moab, to to leave the Moabite gods, and to give herself completely to Naomi and to the God of Israel. Uh, In scene two, they return to Bethlehem, and uh, the second scene happens in a field in Bethlehem, where Ruth goes out to glean from the harvest, uh, to, to see if there was any in Israel there in Bethlehem, who were allowing the poor to come and uh, take the gleanings that God had required of them in the Old Testament. And so she goes out into the field, and Boaz is the one who meets her because it's his field, and he begins to favor her and to, to bless her and to care for her because of the reputation that she has having taken care of Naomi and also because she has adopted or come under the shadow of the wings of the God of Israel. Chapter 3, the scene is at the threshing floor, where Naomi eventually sends Ruth to, in the middle of the night, uh, give Boaz the opportunity, uh, privately, he can make the decision whether he will go and execute the right of redemption or not in purchasing a field from Naomi, but also acquiring as his new bride, this young woman, uh, Ruth. And so now the third scene, not Moab, not the field, not the threshing floor, but the city gate there in Bethlehem where business uh, occurred, where buying and selling and transactions and contracts were uh, verbally uh, communicated uh, in the presence of witnesses, in the presence of the elders. Now, what's going to take place in this chapter is that there will be a redemption that occurs. Uh, There's going to be a field that is purchased, 
Uh, but in purchasing that field, Ruth is going to be acquired with that field's purchase. And apparently, the field, as we'll see as the story unfolds, can only be acquired if Ruth is also married. In other words, the purchaser of the field has to also marry Ruth. Now, there are some differences between this uh, in Ruth chapter 4 and the Deuteronomy 25 Leverite marriage requirements. You know, there it would be a eligible an eligible brother of a deceased brother uh, who would then take his widowed childless wife uh, who was of childbearing age and marry her and their first son would be counted as the offspring of the deceased brother. Uh, so that was a requirement there in Israel. But here the story is different because uh, Boaz is not a brother of Malon or Chilion. And so it it seems different. But what appears is happening is that over time there was some kind of evolving of this tradition in Israel. And there are some other traditions that we'll see have evolved to the time uh, that Ruth is written. And so it appears that they were taking some of the Leverite marriage conditions and applying them in a specific kind of way. But the, the basic thing that we need to know is that somehow there was either a field or rights to a field that had to be purchased. But in purchasing them for Naomi, uh, they had to be uh, connected to a marriage to Ruth. Now, a theme of this chapter is that God redeems us like Boaz redeemed Ruth. So let us rejoice in his redemption. And maybe a couple of questions that we could ask today is, why does God redeem and what happens when he does redeem? Why does God redeem and what happens when he does redeem? Now, we left off the third chapter with Naomi announcing to Ruth that Boaz would not rest until he settled the matter and it says in chapter 4, verse 1, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So you could see that rapidly Boaz is taking care of the situation. He goes up to the town gate and sits down. And the Redeemer that was closer to him appears first. And so Boaz says, hey, sit down. This was Boaz saying, we have some business to conduct. Uh, then he found 10 elders of the city and he, he asked them to sit down and they all sat down. And so very quickly and rapidly, Boaz is taking leadership of the situation. Then he said to the Redeemer in verse three, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, the, the first redeemer, he said, I will redeem it. Now I want you to see here that Boaz, he gets to the bottom line. Uh, he just immediately presents the situation to the man. And there are two significant strategic things that it seems that Boaz does. 
First of all, up to this point, he makes no mention of Ruth. All he talks to the man about is this parcel of land that Naomi was selling. Uh, secondly, another strategic element is that he did all of this in the presence of these elders. He said, buy it in the presence of those sitting here. He put the man in the eye of the elders. Now, this would have made it difficult for the man to only buy the land and reject Ruth. It was customary to also marry the widow. And so he's putting this man on the spot, lest he be tempted to simply acquire the land for himself, but refuse to marry Ruth. Now, he says at the end of verse 4, the first redeemer, he says, I will redeem it. Now, as we're reading this, we're supposed to have an element of shock and an element of horror to hear that the man would actually carry out his redemption role. Now, before we see what Boaz does next, I want you to simply notice the leadership role that Boaz is taking for himself at this moment. You know, some have uh, wondered at the brazenness, so to speak, of what Ruth did in chapter 3. You know, presenting herself to Boaz, laying at his feet and uncovering his feet. Uh, I mentioned to you that it probably was some type of custom that they would have understood that has been lost on us. Uh, Boaz did not understand it as a sexual advance, but he understood it as her making a claim to the right of redemption that was hers there in Israel. But some have wondered uh, from that if uh, female initiation of a marital relationship is a good idea. Now, I'd be the first to admit that God will sometimes bring together people together in all kinds of unconventional, crazy ways. But the reality, according to 1 Corinthians 11.3 in the entirety of the Bible, is that the head of a wife is her husband, uh, just as the head of Christ is God. Paul said, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this doesn't equal, doesn't indicate some type of greatness in quality. Christ and God have an equality, just as a wife and her husband have an equality. So there is no order that's designed here because of quality. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's just the roles that God has designed. And so because of that, it is often recommended that a woman allow a man to do the pursuing. And maybe after studying Ruth 3, you wonder to yourself, well, I wonder if that is actually, uh, you know, not biblical counsel. But look at Ruth. She seems to be pursuing uh, the man. Well, the reality is Boaz was a man who was leading through and through. He led her in the field. Uh, he heard from her in the threshing floor, but now he assumes that leadership uh, once again. And uh, unfortunately, so often women will allow themselves to pursue and pursue and pursue a man who really never reciprocates. Here you see Boaz, a man who's already launched. He already has his career. He's already godly. He's already solid. Ruth cannot make him that way, but he is launched 
into uh, just taking the opportunity that is in front of him. So this solid leader already goes back to leading uh, this relationship. And so he, he goes to, this, to the gate and he approaches this man. The conflict, of course, is that the Redeemer says, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said in verse 5, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now again, this goes back to the concept of Leverite uh, marriage, where the son that would be raised up would be counted to the deceased rather than to the new husband. And Boaz is alluding to that, saying, look, you need to marry Ruth in order to perpetuate the name of Malon, you know, forever. And the man says, I can't do it. If I do, I'll impair my own inheritance. Now, what that means has been something that people have wondered at for years. Uh, perhaps the man means that he's too poor to have a wife. You know, I just can't afford. There will be no inheritance to give if I, you know, take this wife. Uh, maybe th the, he had an aversion to marrying a Moabite. Uh, because you have to remember, in this story, every man who touched Moab died. Elimelech, Malon, Chilion. And given their previous history with the Moabites, perhaps this man was conscious of that and said, no, I, I can't do it. But it seems to me that this man just simply didn't want to put his money towards another man's child, which would be ruining his own inheritance that, we, that he would give to his children. And so uh, perhaps that's what's going on. But for whatever reason, the man says, I cannot redeem it. It might be that he cannot, it might be that he would not, but he says, I cannot redeem it. And one of the reasons that God works to redeem in our lives is because the closer redeemer could not redeem. The closer redeemer could not redeem. Of course, in the New Testament terminology of this, we would think of it in a few different ways. One way that we would think of this is the relationship between Adam and and Christ. Adam and Christ. The Bible teaches in Romans 5 that when we were born, we were born into Adam, the first man. And that the reality is that that man, his trespass was handed down to all of us. And so we could not experience redemption because of that man. So we needed another man to come along, another line to come along. And that line is Christ himself. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So Adam brought the trespass, which brought death, but Christ brings grace, and it abounds to many, to all who believe. Another way that we would think of this is that besides the fact that Adam could not redeem, but Christ could, another way that we would think of this is that the law could not redeem, but faith in the gospel message could. 
It says in Romans 3, 20 to 22, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So under the law, no human being can be justified. Under the law, righteousness from God cannot be received. But through faith in what Christ has done upon the cross, that is how we can actually experience redemption. So Adam could not do it, but Christ could. And the law could not do it, but faith in the gospel could. Now, practically speaking, the reality is, is that we often turn elsewhere for redemption of our situation when we ought to be turning to Christ. Uh, maybe you've watched somebody who's used a tool incorrectly, uh, improperly, you know, for something that it's not designed to use. You know, maybe taking a socket wrench and trying to hammer a nail in with that socket wrench. You know, it's just not designed for that. It's not for that. And this is so often what we do. We're feeling that brokenness or that pain in life. And we turn to a relationship or we turn to a person or we turn to a practice or a sin to try to bring some redemption into our lives. We turn to our careers to give us value. But the reality is that those things cannot redeem us. Now, as the story goes on, it says in verse 7, now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now, according to Deuteronomy chapter 25, the way that it should have flowed at this point is that Ruth should have been present. As she would have pulled his sandal of the first redeemer off of his foot. And then, according to Deuteronomy 25, spit in his face. And then she would have said, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. Then everyone would call this man's house the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. So you could see here that by this time they'd modified things a little bit. And it might seem weird to us, but the man pulls off his sandal and that was a way to communicate that he and Boaz were making uh, this deal. Maybe you've gone to a country where people don't know what a high five is. You know, something as simple as that that's very cultural. Uh, you know, it seems weird. Why, why would people do that? Why would people put their hands in the air and... and hit their hands in the air. Why would they do that? Well, you know, this is just Israel, you know, ad adapting something that God had said. And they'd taken a little bit of the edge off of it, obviously, by this time. Not that it was their right to do so, but it's just what they'd done. And so this was a way of communicating that the deal was done. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Malon and to Chilion. 
Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. I want you to see, obviously, that for Boaz, the goal was not the field. The goal was Ruth. And here he acquires Ruth uh, to be his bride. Now he has the right to actually marry her. And I should mention that Boaz is getting a good thing in getting marriage to Ruth. It says in Proverbs 18, verse 22, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This is often forgotten in the culture that we live in. It says in Proverbs 31, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. And certainly in marrying Ruth, Boaz was finding an excellent wife. What I want you to see, though, in all of this is that Boaz clearly wanted marriage to Ruth. And when it comes to the redemption of God in our lives, it's important to understand first, as we already saw, that God works to redeem because the closer redeemer can't or couldn't. But also here, number two, God works to redeem because he wanted us. You know, it's very clear that Boaz is going above and beyond, that this isn't just simply him saying, well, okay, I guess I have to. No, it's very clear that there is a want to in the heart of Boaz. The first redeemer couldn't, and I think perhaps he said he couldn't because he wouldn't. He didn't want to, but God wants to redeem us as his people. It makes me think of the some of the kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, I know many have interpreted that to mean that for us, when we become Christians, we have to sell it all and radically pursue the Lord because he's like that treasure hidden in a field. But of the first parable of the sower, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand all the parables? And there he said that the field was the world. Who actually did the work of purchasing the world? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who sold all and bought the field so that he could find the treasure of the kingdom of heaven inside of it. In other words, to Jesus, we are the treasure hidden in a field. To Jesus, we are the pearl of great price. And this is an astounding reality. Perhaps you've watched a group of young teenagers walking together. You can almost see, just by watching any group of four or five of them, you can almost see the pecking order. You know, who wants to hang out with who and who wants to receive the approval of of who. And, and as you're watching that, you, you're seeing the desire within humanity to be wanted, to be respected, to be thought highly of, and to consider for a moment that God himself looks upon us and says, I want to know you. I want to have you. This is a powerful reality. Now, it goes on, and after Boaz makes this deal, 
It says in verse 11, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, here we finally see the people and the elders speak. I've already told you that Ruth and Naomi have spoken their final words in the book of Ruth at the end of chapter 3. But here, the people and the elders who were present, they begin to speak. And, and what they speak is beautiful. It's a word of great blessing. Uh, they tell Boaz and sort of pray over Boaz that uh, Ruth would be fruitful like Rachel and Leah, that Boaz would act worthily and be renowned, and that their offspring, that their home would be abundantly blessed. And this is powerful because this is incredible and robust blessing. You know, you have blessing on Ruth, on Boaz, and on the home. And this is definitely what the Lord does in redeeming us. He changes our next two relationships. You know, Boaz and Ruth. He changes our within relationships. You know, the experience that we have ourselves before the Lord. And then he changes the after us relationships where, you know, people coming after us are changed as a result of God's redemption in our lives. So Boaz, verse 13, took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. <laughs> now again, this is all so very rapid, and this is so often the way of God. You wait, and you wait, and you wait, and then rapidly, after it seems almost as if God has taken forever, he doesn't take forever, and he moves so quickly, so rapidly. You wait, and then God strikes. You wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then, boom, within days, you're brought into the promised land. You await a child for years with your wife, Elizabeth, in your old age, and then, boom, one day you're in the temple, and an angel appears to you and promises the birth of John the Baptist. You wait for hundreds of years of prophetic silence after the prophecies of Malachi, and then, boom, the Messiah appears in northern Israel working miracles in the Galilee. You wait for 10 days after the ascension of Jesus Christ for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then, boom, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes after you've waited upon the Lord. This is so often the way that he works. Now, the book closes with the voice of the women. Do you remember them? Uh, Naomi had spoken to these women in chapter 1, telling them that she was a bitter woman now. But now the women said to Naomi in verse 14, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The idea here is that this will now lead to a full life for Naomi. 
a redeemer has come. Uh, he, he will be renowned in Israel, a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. This speaks of a full life for Naomi. This is the life of redemption. It's a life of great fullness. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, which means servant or worshiper. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. One of the strongest and most beautiful points about the redemption of God, the redemption of Christ, is that it changes the whole family line that we're in. I mentioned being in Adam versus being in Christ. And here we see the line of Christ continuing to be established. This obviously, at the close of the book of Ruth, would leave the reader waiting, waiting for the promises that God had made to David about his throne. And so we are in the same place today waiting for the Lord to fulfill his great promises of the throne of David being occupied forever by Jesus Christ. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.